The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Festo. Hasn't that been cool? As we've been reading through it and are being transformed journals and then hearing about it on the weekends. Uh, I love what Pastor Sarah said. Um, Kingdom Manifesto, the series has been about the Sermon on the Mount. And I love what she said a few weeks ago. She said, this is the most um, important, best articulated message ever preached by the, the best, most anointed communicator to ever preach, Jesus. Isn't that a cool way to look at it? Like this isn't just um, a couple of good ideas that you can apply to your life. Like this was an incredibly significant moment in time. The King of Kings is coming down, has put on flesh. Jesus Christ has come and he's going, I'm establishing my kingdom in this earth. And this is what this kingdom is going to look like. This is more significant than Martin Luther nailing his 95 thesis to the cathedral church doors, breaking away from the theocracy of the Pope and sparking the Protestant Reformation. This is, this is a more significant moment in history than, than when our founding fathers penned the Declaration of Independence and sent it over to England and broke away. This is the most significant moment in history because Jesus is going, hey, I'm the King of Kings and I've come to establish a kingdom that's not just for one day when you die, but this kingdom that I'm establishing here on the earth. And this is what this kingdom is gonna look like. So we've got to get these principles de- deep in our hearts. It's not just actions. This is, this is who we want to be as a group of people. And so as we read today, I'm gonna to be reading out of Matthew 6 verses one through four. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to that. You've got your Bible app, open it up to that and just leave it open because we're just gonna keep coming back to it over and over again. And would you stand to your feet as we read the word today? Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret secret will himself reward you openly. You can be seated. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we love you. God, we want you here today. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done and let it come right here in our hearts. Let the kingdom take ground in our hearts today. Let us walk away looking more like you today, Jesus. Not just with some good advice or some good principles to apply to our life, but Lord, changed and transformed. That's the prayer of our hearts today, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We want you here. We put you in the center of this room, Lord. Put our attention on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to be talking about what Jesus has to say about the culture of generosity in his kingdom. As I was studying in this week, I came to a realization, I really love generous people. I do. I love when they take me to lunch. I love, <clears throat> I love when they buy me coffee. I love when they get me gifts, send me little gift cards in the mail. Anyone else like generous people? Like, I realized I got a lot of generous friends. I'm not going to tell you who they are, because they're my generous friends. You can get your own generous friends. I'll be stingy with my generous friends. We love generous people. We, we understand that generosity is a, is, a, is a principle that we should implement in our lives, right? Like, we teach it to our kids. When, when you have little kids and, and they have friends that come over, what do you say to them? You have a little conversation. You go, hey, we're going to share, right? 
We're gonna share our toys. We're gonna share our things. Generosity is something that we look for in people that, that we date and we marry, right? Like ladies, if you go, I don't care what the culture says. Like if you go on a date and the guy doesn't pay for your, your dinner, you're not calling him back, right? He's stingy. You shouldn't call him back. He's, he's stingy. You need to find someone generous. This is something we look for in people that we go into business with. This is a, a concept. This is something that if we took a poll and said, who would like to be known as a generous person? All of us would say, yes, yeah, sign me up for that, right? If I were to ask you to um, think of the most extravagantly generous person alive today, what would you think of? You'd probably think of maybe a celebrity who donates millions of dollars to charity every year. You might think of a um, a professional athlete, athlete like LeBron James, who builds inner city schools. You might think um, of a, f- a famous business person who, who donates millions to hospitals and gets, gets hospital wings named after them, right? Isn't it funny how we always associate a s- extravagant generosity with wealth? What if I were to tell you this morning that the type of kingdom generosity that Jesus is describing that is attributed to the, to the culture of his kingdom, what if it didn't have to do with an amount? What if it didn't have to do with money at all? What if the type of generous, generosity that Jesus is presenting to us goes beyond the scope of finances? What if it extends into the way that we live and the way that we look at people and the way that we see the things that God has given us? I think one of two things happens when we, uh, when we hear a message on generosity. I think the first thing we do is we tighten our grip on our wallet. <laughs> We're like, oh no, I knew I should have skipped church this week. The weather was too nice. I should, like, what's this gonna cost me? The worship pastor's up this week bringing a message. He's gonna ask for a love offering at the end of the sermon. Or we go the other direction. And we go, okay, well, this message isn't for me because I don't really have a lot right now. Like, I'll... I'll, I'll keep this in the back of my head for later in my life when I've made it, when I'm a little bit further down the road, when I can afford to be generous. You know? and, and, and so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to, to take our eyes off of finances because listen, the kingdom of God, like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's gonna get up in your wallet. Like he's gonna, we're gonna talk about it in a couple of weeks. Like there is a way in which we approach finances from a biblical perspective, but generosity what Jesus is talking about here actually sets the stage for what he's gonna talk about in a little bit. Generosity expands to all areas of our life. Let's look, at the, um, let's look at the text here, verse two. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed. Okay, a couple of things here. First thing is this. He says, when you do. Jesus says this a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not saying if you do. He's saying when you do. What he's assuming is that we as the readers or, or them as the listeners that, that were there around him, gathered around him, understood that generosity was a godly trait and generosity is something that we should strive for. Second thing though, he doesn't say, notice he doesn't say, therefore, if you're wealthy, when you do a charitable deed. No, he doesn't. He says, when you do a charitable deed. If, the, if generosity was just about wealth and extravagance, then the kingdom would only be for rich people. But it's not. The kingdom's for rich people, the kingdom's for poor people, the kingdom's for middle class, the kingdom's for old people that are retired, the kingdom's for young people. The kingdom is for us all. The idea behind charitable deed here is this idea of assisting the poor. And how many of you know you can be wealthy or poor in a lot of different areas of your life? At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We can be rich or poor 
we could have a lot or lack in a lot of different areas of our life. So I want us to see this beyond the scope of finances this morning. We're going to get into this more practically later, but I want to give you a few examples to kind of get you thinking. So as you receive the word today and chew on it, you can look at it and apply it to your life. Um, You can be generous with your finances. Yes, you can also be generous with your time, how you spend it, like how, how you serve people, how you give it to other people, how you give it to your family how you give it to your coworkers, how you give it to your neighbor. You can, you can spend your time. You can be generous with your time. Second thing we can be generous with is we can be generous um, with our words, how you speak to people, what you say to them, what you don't say to them sometimes, am I right? <laughs> how you talk about them, how you encourage them, how you invest into them. You can be generous with your words. You can be generous with your food, if you're a parent, you understand this. We have a 15-month-old at home. Uh, we got a three-year-old and a 15-month-old. And uh, his name is Levi. And if you've seen him, you know he's not missing any meals, all right? Like, I feed my kids. He eats well. He eats like a king. And so we'll feed him. And he'll eat a man-sized plate, like he will. And he'll just throw it down. And then he'll do the, the all-done kind of symbol, you know, you know, your parent. And, and so I take him out of the high chair. I sit back down to, you know, get to my second bite of food because he's inhaled his so quickly. And he just toddles on up and just wants to baby bird you. Like he just wants the food all, all, that you have in your hand all the time. He hears you across the room. If you open up a snack wrapper, you hear his little feet stomping around. He wants what you have. You can be generous with your food. This is an area, if I'm just being honest, I struggle with. This is my food. It's not his food. I gave him his food. He already ate his food. This is my food. We can be generous with our forgiveness. A little one-two punch there. Generous with our forgiveness. When we extend grace and forgiveness towards people who don't deserve it, who haven't earned it, when we encounter the person behind the cash register who's being really rude and they deserve for me to kind of be rude back to them, you know, like this is, you know, this is not how we act. But instead, maybe I can go, I'm going to be generous with my forgiveness and my grace right now. I'm going to walk in this. I'm going to believe the best about them. When we forgive somebody, even though they haven't done anything to deserve it yet, we can be generous with our forgiveness. So let's dig into this a little bit. Generosity, kingdom generosity. We're going we're gonna to look at this passage of scripture a little bit differently than, than we usually do. We're going to look at it as a whole for just a second. So if you put, your, put that slide up there, um, you'll notice that verse 1 and verse 4 are actually parallel opposites of each other. They speak to the, the, um, the motivation, the heart behind generosity, okay? Verse one and verse four. And then verse two and verse three speak to the application, the expression. So once we have our heart of generosity, both good or bad, then it expresses itself in a different way. It's a little bit of a uh, theology sandwich there, okay? So let's, let's talk about the heart first, the heart of generosity. I'm gonna read it, verse one and verse four, and we're gonna read it right, right back to back. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, that your charitable deeds may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So let's, let's look at the bad motivation, the wrong motivation behind generosity. To be seen by men the motivation that I want others to see me, whether that be because I want to be able to manipulate them a little bit or because I want them to have a perception of who I am. We see this all the time. It's essentially a PR stunt. So you'll have um, 
a, a scandal that will come out about a politician or a celebrity. And then what do they do? They give a lot of money to charity because they want you to think like, listen, I'm not a bad person. Look, I do this other stuff too. Or um, I grew up in Houston, and when the BP oil spill happened, um, it, it, it was damaging to the economy uh, around the Gulf of Mexico, damaging to the environment. All uh, The beaches were terrible for a while, and so they invested a lot of money into coming and cleaning that up and preserving wildlife and things like that. We know what that is, right? It, it's, it's, not, it's not a true generosity. They're actually just trying to change their perception, the public's perception of them. Um, we as a people, it's just human nature, we are obsessed with what other people think about us. We are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. You care what people think about you. And what this type of generosity is, is it's, it, at its root, it's pride and manipulation masquerading as generosity. I was at a band in high school called Masquerade, and it was everything that you'd expect a band named Masquerade to be. Uh, very teen angst. Uh, punk rock, Reliant K meets, because we were Christian, Reliant K meets Red Hot Chili Peppers meets Kings of Leon. It was just, it was not good. A masquerade was a party uh, that they would do a long time ago where you could show up to the party, you'd wear a mask so you could pretend to be someone that you're not. And see, this wrong, motiv- this wrong motivation of generosity that Jesus is speaking about is essentially saying, I care way more about people perceiving me to be good and kind and righteous more than I care about actually being good and kind and righteous. I care more about people thinking that I'm generous than I do about actually being generous. It's a masquerade. It's a, hey, this is who I want you to think that I am. But listen, the the way of the kingdom is that of genuine transformation. We're not just trying to to work on the outside, to make it look all pretty and good on the outside. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ. Jesus didn't have to try to be good or kind or generous. He was those things because it was his nature. And so we can put on that nature too. But here's what gets in the way, the flesh. The flesh, pride, ego, it resists the transformation process. Our flesh loves the way that it is already. Like, I love me some me. You love you some you. Like, the flesh is fine with the way things are. Your flesh loves when you gratify it, when you satisfy it, when you do things that make it feel good, when you do things that make it comfortable, when, when, when you help it make lo- it look good on the outside. Our flesh is okay with generosity if there's a little bit of recognition and praise that goes along with it. It's just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Well, Mary Poppins for you. Mary Poppins theology for you this morning. So what happens is, is that we come up to an opportunity where we need to be generous and we know we should be generous. Somebody asks for help or um, we want to give towards something, but our flesh resists that because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a selfless uh, action. So our selfishness rises up, but we use the praise and the recognition. We give in such a way that it's so visible that we use the praise and the recognition of others kind of as a soothing ointment over our selfishness as we go to just boost our ego and our own self-righteousness. But Jesus offers an alternative motivation, that your charitable deeds may be in secret. Secret. What does Jesus mean by secret here? It's like, think about it. It's, it's kind of hard to give or to serve or to do anything for anyone without at least the person that you're serving and giving to knowing, right? 
So what's he talking about? Is he talking about, hey, you can't give if someone's gonna see you, if you're gonna get credit for it? Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying that that word secret there is kryptos in the Greek. It means inward. It means at the, at the core of who you are, at the most secret, when, when you are honest with yourself, when it's just you and God, and there's no masks on the inside or the out, at the most secret place of who you are as a person, that the generosity would take place there before it ever comes out into our actions. Let me, let me show you what Paul says. Paul uses the same word in Romans 2. Um, he's talking to um, a group, this is after Jesus. And so he's talking to a, a group of Jewish people at the time who they wanted to keep the law. So all the traditions of, of Judaism and, and force that upon the Gentiles that now because of Jesus could be grafted into the family of God. And so in Jewish culture, in, in, in Bible times, when God made a covenant, made the covenant with Abraham, he, he made a sign for them. And that sign was circumcision. So this was what was going to represent what took place on the heart. Hey, you're going to be my people that live according to my, to my word and to my way. And this is going to be the sign to the world that you're mine. And so this is what it says in Romans 2, verse 25. <coughs> for, circum <coughs> excuse me. for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, does all the right things, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he who is a Jew who is one inwardly, Cryptos, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And I think that's the most the word circumcised is used in the Bible in one passage. <laughs> What's Paul getting at here? He's addressing a life lived valuing outward righteousness without anything changing on the inside. To do all the right things, to show up to all the midweek prayers to fill out every page of the Being Transformed journal to show up to every Serve Saturday, to have the Christian bumper sticker, to have the, the, the verse in our Instagram bio, for everything to look great on the outside, but for the love of God and for the, the transformation of God and the Spirit of God to never transform anything on the inside, on the cryptos. And when we operate and we live this way, where we're, where we're so busy polishing the outside, what begins to happen is we begin to operate and live out of this religious spirit. Yeah. A religious spirit says that I want what's on the outside to appear to be righteous. I want my outward appearance to be put together, praiseworthy, holy. It emphasizes the action and puts little value on things that people can't see. Think about it. If your goal is to appear to be godly and righteous when, when we do things, um, then it's gonna be very difficult for you to do something that nobody sees because it's, it's not gonna be a strategic decision for you. You're gonna go, okay, I, it's my resources are probably best used in a more visible way because really the motivation is to make sure that we're getting recognition and that it's building our facade. Is it, you understand what I'm saying here? What we want is we want the spirit of God in us, the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. Not that the act of generosity would be hidden, because listen, most of the time when we give or we're being generous, we're wanting to show somebody that we love them, right? 
Like we're, we're not being generous, not just to meet the physical need, but we're wanting to meet the spiritual need. We're wanting to say, listen, I love you and I care about you. And this is why I'm here and I'm doing this for you. God's not wanting you to hide your generosity. He's just saying that when we approach an opportunity that calls for generosity, that the decision would be made cryptos inwardly. I'm gonna be generous because I wanna put on the nature of Christ. Because Christ is generous, I want to be generous too. Because the love of God has been generously poured out on me, I want that love of God to be generously poured out on other people. I wanna freely give and to bless others. It's motivated by a love we wanna show to those in need, not to be seen and praised by those who watch. If you're taking notes, write this down. Kingdom generosity wants to be shown to someone not seen by others. That's kingdom generosity. Kingdom generosity wants to be shown to someone, not to be seen by others. All right, so that's the motivation. Verse one and verse four, that's the motivation of generosity. Just to remind you, we're not just talking about finances here. We're talking about your time. We're talking about your words. We're talking about your forgiveness. Talking about your food. Verse two and verse three, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, this is the action of generosity, how that motivation expresses itself. Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have, the, the, have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay, so let's look at the wrong expression first, this idea of sounding a trumpet. I did some research into this this week and there's kind of two th schools of thought. The first one is that maybe Jesus is talking about perhaps during Jesus's time, uh, it was common practice that if you wanted to give to the poor, you'd kind of go out to the street corner with like a dinner bell kind of style announcement and say, hey, here's where you can come and get your needs met. And, and this was both to let people know where they could come to give, but it was also to make sure that you could give in a really public way. I want people to see that how good and generous you are. Um, it would be the same as like if you went on a missions trip and uh, you went to go help build an orphanage in, a, in another country and uh, you, you found a, a, a cute orphan and so you went to take a picture with them and post it on your Instagram page to let everybody know like, look how awesome I am. I left you know, for the week. I could have been at the beach, but instead I'm building orphanages. I want people to think that I'm good. And all the people that are about to go on the mission trip in a couple weeks are going, I know what I'm not gonna do. <laughs> Hear me, that Jesus isn't taking an issue with the gift itself. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with posting about that. Like, there's not, if your motivation is to bring awareness, right. if your motivation is to show what God is doing, if your motivation is to, to show uh, what, what the church is doing, like if, if that's your motivation, yes, what, what Jesus is warning against is, is when you're about to do something that could be seen by others, yeah. just take a second and just evaluate what's going on here. Like, is this generosity taking place at a cryptos level? Or am I really wanting this to be seen by other people so that something else can be validated in me? Okay, so that's the first kind of idea. The second idea is, um, is and it's, it's what I believe that Jesus is talking about, and they tie together, is that it was common practice um, during the time of Jesus that during the feasts, so throughout the year, according to the Jewish calendar, they would have these different feasts, so these holidays, these kind of national holidays. And it, it was tradition to take up an offering and give to the poor during those feasts. And they would signify that offering being given with the blast of a trumpet. So what Jesus is saying is that if you're only giving at the times when it's expected or the times when people are watching, then you've got the wrong motivation. It would be like when we go to, uh, during the Christmas season, you go to Walmart and the Salvation Army guy is out with the bell, right? Like you go, okay, I'm, 
I'm gonna be stingy, so you give. You know, or Heart for the House every year uh, at New Song. And in December, we take up a special Heart for the House offering that goes towards different initiatives that we're doing within our church. Now, hear me, those are times to be generous. Like, please continue to give to Heart for the House. Like, the, the, these are, Jesus isn't taking an issue with the offering itself. He's taking an issue with the motivation behind it. What he's saying is that if you're only being generous at the times where it's expected or the times that people are, are looking and you're not being generous at other times in your life and with other areas of your life, then really, and he calls on this, he's calling you a hypocrite is what he's saying. I love what, um, I love what David Guzik says. It's not having a standard that makes someone a hypocrite. It's falsely claiming to live by that standard when you in fact do not. Or when you have a double standard, that makes one a hypocrite. So hold yourself to the standard, like continue to give, continue to do the things that are obvious to do, be generous at the times that it's obvious to be generous at, but we need to pray and ask God to align our hearts with our actions so that this comes out in a genuine way, that it transforms, it takes place on the cryptos level, okay? So let me give an example of this. Because if our, when, our, when our actions and our heart don't align, when, when our actions say one story and our heart has a totally different motivation, um, that's when we start to operate and live under the spirit of religion. Spirit of religion takes, takes uh, place in the flesh. It's what the Pharisees were living under. They didn't have the spirit of God to empower them to live a transformed life, but we've been raised again, okay? So when these things, when these things get out of alignment, we start to live out of a religious spirit. So let me give you an example of this. Remember, you can be generous in more than uh, just money. You can be generous with your time. So say you're serving in a kid's class, all right, here at New Song. And the only reason that you're serving in a kid's class is because you heard a message from Pastor Josh on serving and you felt a little guilty about it. So you went and signed up for kids. Now listen, sometimes we need a little kick to do the things that we know that we should be doing, right? Sometimes we do. Like you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be praying. You need to be fasting. You need to be serving. You need to be giving. These are all disciplines that are in the word. These disciplines aid in the transformation process, okay? So it's fine if that's our starting place. But we have to continue to pray and ask God to align our hearts because we need to be serving out of a love for Jesus and out of, out of a desire to see little kids know Jesus. But when we don't, what begins to happen is the spirit of religion begins to rise up. And here's what the spirit of religion says. A spirit of religion keep score. So they're gonna, it's going to go, okay, I, I'm serving four times a month and they're not serving at all. A religious spirit starts to get bitter when it doesn't get praise, when it doesn't get recognition. A little voice in your head, your, your, your gifts are wasted back here. Nobody notices you. A spirit of religion gets puffed up. It goes, look how good I am. Like I'm doing all right. God is so lucky to have me on his team. The spirit of religion makes allowances for sin. Right, let me go there for just a second because what a spirit of religion says is like, okay, I just got to even the scales. And so it's like, okay, I've got, I may have this little area in my life that I can't get a grip on. I, I can't quite get under control. I'm just, or, or I'm making allowances for it. But it's okay because if I'll just give enough, if I'll just serve enough, if I'll just do enough, a religious spirit will, will, will in a marriage, Will, will come and this is how it'll impact it. You'll have a little sin that, that you just kind of keep to yourself and it's ugly, but you go, you know what? I can make up for it if I just serve more and I just am really sweet. I never say anything mean. I never ask for anything. And, I, and if I'm perfect in all these other areas, then it will excuse this little area. Listen, there's, an, there's, a, there's a lack of alignment here. Keep doing the serving. 
Keep doing the things that you know you should be doing. Keep, keep reading the word, keep fasting, keep praying. And when that spirit of religion starts to creep up, here's what we do. We just remind ourselves why we're doing what we're doing. I, I, love, uh, I love this quote here. It says, it says, keep the thing so secret, whatever it is, keep the thing so secret that even yourself are hardly aware that you're doing anything at all worth pra- that's praiseworthy. Let God be present and you will have enough of an audience. We remind ourselves, we remind ourselves, I'm, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for him, for Jesus. Because he first loved me, I love others. That's why Jesus gives us a remedy. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What's he mean by that? Last week, Jesus is talking about cutting off our hand. This week, he's telling me to hide my left hand from my right hand. Like, what is Jesus getting at here? I'm a very literal person, so when I read this, I think of like if my friend asked me to come help him move, so I show up to his house, and we go to go take, lift a couch and take it to the moving truck, and I've got my left hand in my pocket, and I'm picking up a couch, and he's like, dude, what are you doing? Use both hands, and you're like, can't. Hide my left hand from my right hand. Like, I can't let it know. It's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not, what you, it's not possible to deny ourselves knowledge of our actions. It's not like, it's not like you, uh, you know, you're supposed to do it when you do a charitable deed that you men in black, you know, beam yourself and forget that it happened. That's not what he's talking about. It's impossible. We, it's impossible to deny ourselves knowledge of our actions, but we can deny ourselves self-congratulations. When we feel the flesh speaking, we can go, okay, no, no, no. I was dead in my sin. I was dead in my sin. There was nothing I could do to get to God. But he so generously extended a hand towards me. And he so generously poured out his love towards me. And he was so kind and compassionate towards me. And he's walked me through the darkest moments of my life. Jesus has been so good to me. That anything good that comes out of my life is just a reaction with my, of my soul having a reaction with his grace and his mercy. And I wanna love the way that he loved. When we feel that religious spirit uh, pulling up, we remind ourselves of how much we need God and how much we depend on God. We bring ourselves back to a place of hunger where we realize I need the sustenance of heaven. The man cannot live on bread alone. We remind ourselves of God, how much I need you. We remind ourselves for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. That's why you're the most like God when you give, when you give of your life. And because he gave his life for me, I want to give my life for others. The beckon of Calvary is not, Calvary is not to ride off into the sunset. It's not. The beckon of Calvary is to come and take up your cross and die so that people might eat of the fruit of your life, the fruit of your sacrifice. We want to live a life that's poured out lavishly at the feet of Jesus, not keeping score. Our good works don't matter a hill of beans compared to the goodness of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus. And so, so we got to get out of our feelings. We got to get out of our, I think the tendency uh, whenever we, we, we start something new would what, what be it to, okay, I, I want to live generously and so I want to do these things or I want to I get in the word, I want to read, I want to pray, I want to I fast. I think the tendency uh, in those moments is we go, okay, I don't really feel like doing it. We try it a couple days and we try it a couple times and it's like, ah, my heart's not right. And so we're like, well, I better get my heart right before I continue to do this is I don't want to be a hypocrite. Listen, continue to do the good things. 
continue to do it because those, are, those disciplines that we find in scripture actually aid in the transformation process. The transformation is impossible without the outward action, okay? Continue to do those things. It's, it's like the person who, it's like the person who uh, you meet who's like always grumpy and you're like, dude, what's your deal? And they're like, I'm just being me, you know? Like, I don't wanna be a hypocrite. I don't wanna be fake. So I'm just kind of blunt. This is just kind of how it is all the time. No, dude, you're a jerk, all right? Like, be nice, you know? That person has just allowed the flesh to just take control. If we only ever did what we feel like, like our life would look nothing like Jesus's. So we continue to do the work, but it comes back to this place of, God, I need you to change my heart too, Lord. Spirit of God, I hunger for you. I hunger for the kingdom, not just for my life to look like for the kingdom, but for the kingdom to be here in my heart. So we're gonna, we're gonna guard our, our motivation. We're gonna evaluate it. We're going to look at our application, the expression of generosity. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're going to remember the reward. Remember the reward. I saved this for last because, um, uh, and I can, I can sense it, like, we don't give to get, you know? Like, you've all heard messages like that. It's like, it kind of seems like you just want to be rich, and so that's why you're saying that we should give. There is definitely a reward in these four verses Three times the word reward is used. But here's what's so cool about the kingdom. It's so cool. You can't access the reward unless your kingdom generosity takes place on the cryptos of you. So you have to like not care about the reward in order to get the reward. And it's so cool how this works because when you study this out, four verses, three times the word reward is used. It's two different words for reward. This is why you got to get into your Bible and dig. Like get Blue Letter Bible. It is a free app. And it has commentary on it of people that are way smarter than me and you. It's got, it's got a, a concordance on there. You can dive into the Greek, into the Hebrew. Sometimes the Spirit of God will be like, hey, go like, look at that. If it, it doesn't make sense to me, like I go and I, I click on the verse and then I can look at all this stuff and it's like, oh, this is what this verse is saying, okay? So four verses, three times the word reward is used. The first two times the word reward is used is, is in, when Jesus is addressing the hypocrites, the wrong motivation or the uh, wrong application of generosity, okay? And that word for reward is misthos, misthos, okay? Here's the definition of it. The fruit naturally resulting from toils and endeavors. So when your motivation is to be seen by men, what Jesus is saying is that what you sow, you will reap. So if your motivation is to be seen by others, then what Jesus is saying is you're going to be seen by others and it might not be what you want them to see. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're giving out of a, a motivation to manipulate or to change, and it's not a genuine reason, people are gonna see right through that, yeah. right? right? Like we've experienced this, I, I, I hear about it all the time, like these, these couples get married, and then one of, the, one of the families starts giving them a bunch of stuff, paying for upgrades in the house, buying them cars, buying them phones, paying for their cell phone, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden that family member wants to start cashing in some favors. You know, I've seen, I, I've seen it, I've seen it create a divide because people can see right through your hypocrisy. So what Jesus is saying is that if your desire is to be seen by men, it's a warning. It's a warning. He's saying, people are going to see you. That's why we got to check the heart. We want to be a representation of Jesus. I don't want to be a cheap interpretation of Jesus. Like, I, I don't want to be like an Elvis impersonator. You know, like, you know, it's not Elvis. Like, I want people to look at my life and go, that man walks with Jesus. Like, we got to get, we got to get generosity in the cryptos, okay? So what's the reward for the right type of generosity? 
It's this word, apodidomai. It's an amazing word. It's got a couple different definitions. Would you go ahead and put that up there? First one is this, to give back or to restore. Okay, this is so cool. Jesus is saying is that when generosity takes place at an inward place, so when it wants to be shown to someone not seen by others, okay, it's true, genuine. We just want to give of our lives to bless other people and to help other people in need. When, when we give this way, what he's saying is that whatever you give, I'm going to restore back to you. And it's, this is so important that this happens because if we're going to live a life of extravagant generosity, not just a couple times a year, you know, we write a check to a nonprofit. Like if we're going to live a life that's poured out at the feet of others, if you want to live an extravagant life, if there's not a restoring that takes place, then eventually you're going to run out of stuff. Like you won't be able to live that way for very long. What this promise gives us is it gives us an assurance so that we can give without fear. You can live open-handedly and you can give not wondering whether or not you're going to be able to feed your family and take care of your family. Now, listen, we need to use discernment when we give. We need to use discernment whenever somebody comes and asks for help. You know, are they, are they being a good steward with the gift that I'm giving them? We see this in the parable of the talents. Like God is a good steward and he gives to those that are good stewards. So when you give, we need to give in the same nature as him and we need to be good stewards. But, but what God is promising is that we can give without a fear of running out so that we can continue to give. But that's not all. The second part of that definition is this. It's to deliver, to give away for one's own profit what is one's own. So I'll remind you that the, the verse in whole is this, your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. It's this idea of investment. So if you've ever seen Shark Tank, um, it's this idea of uh, these business people that are really successful, these businessmen and these businesswomen um, get in a room and they hear pitches from other businesses. And if they like the business and they feel like it's a good investment, they'll take of their own finances and sow into those businesses that will then profit off of them, grow, make a, make a return that then comes back to them. So what Jesus is saying is that when he finds somebody who is kingdom generosity, with kingdom generosity on the cryptos, on the inside of who they are, what he's saying is that he himself will see that you're rewarded and promoted because it says openly. Why? Here's why. Because he wants the kingdom of generosity to be the standard, not the exception. So when he finds someone and identifies someone who, who lives this way, who doesn't give to get, who doesn't give to manipulate, who doesn't give to be seen by others, who gives out of an outpouring of a generosity that they've seen from their father, who gives in a model of Jesus's grace and love. When he sees somebody like that, he lifts them up and gives them more so they can continue to be generous and to steward a culture of generosity around them. Isn't that awesome? Like, think about it, that the people in my life people in my life that I've seen uh, be generous to us in whatever manner that they're generous, if it's finances or it's their time or whatever, they always seem to be rich in the area in which they give. Like those that have been financially generous to us, they just happen to be rich. Like I, 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 the people that, that have given their time to us, it, it's, it's the kind of people like when they come over to help you fix something at your house or be it, they seem to be always the people that are unrushed, like as if they have all the time in the world. The people that have invested into our marriage and, and, and paid for a babysitter for us or watched our kids, they, they seem to have great marriages. Could it be, could it be that God's found a generous person and given them more so they can continue to be generous in a greater way? Listen, the reward isn't the reason, it's the result. 
It's the result. Because when you live out of this kingdom generosity, you just wanna be generous with even more. You go, God, I wanna give, give me more so that I can give more. Give me more time so I can, I can give more of myself. Get, uh, uh, financing more so I can finance others. It, the reward isn't the reason. It's not the motivation. That puts us into the wrong motivation of generosity, but it's the result of true kingdom generosity. So I'm gonna give you three different ways today, three different little applications that you can apply to your life. Three different exercises that will help us to live this gener gen generous life that Jesus is calling us to, okay? The first one is this, plan to be generous. Plan to be generous, write that down. If you don't budget to be generous, you'll never be generous. It's just how it'll work. You'll never feel like you can afford to give if you don't make a budget for it. Kaylee and I, we have a budget meeting every month. It is my favorite hour and a half of the entire month. She calls this meeting to order. She's got a gavel and everything. We go through our budget. I'm so grateful for her. If not, who knows where our finances would be. Every month we gather and we look at our budget. And on our budget, there's a line item that's labeled bless you money because I get to name the line items. That's kind of the deal we work on. She tells us what we need to spend money on. I get to, I get to label them. It's called bless you money. It's not a lot. It's not a little. It's more than we could afford to give five years ago. And hopefully it's less than we're gonna be able to give five years from now. Um, but it is a separate line item than our tithe and our offering, separate than heart for the house. It's, it doesn't go to the church at all. This is just money that we've budgeted and set aside so that when the opportunity arises for us to be generous, we can do so and not have to worry about which bill is gonna be paid, okay? So, so for instance, when one of our friends has a baby, we get to then buy them a really nice baby shower gift. Like if you've had a baby, that baby stuff is expensive. Like, and you gotta buy like seven car seats before they, before they, before they graduate high school. You know, I feel like sophomores are in, high, in, in car seats now. They keep extending, like having a baby is expensive. And so we've budgeted money so that one of our friends has a baby shower. We can, we can generously bless them, okay? Uh, or when, one of, uh, when we find out that a family is going through something and they need a meal train, we have money set aside so that we can buy them a really nice gift card so that they can get Charleston's, not McDonald's on their meal train, you know? This money is set aside so that we can, we can, freely, we can freely give and bless others, okay? Now, maybe for you, you need to create a line item in your budget. Maybe for you, you need to create some space in your schedule. If you are planned and booked Monday through Sunday from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m., you're never gonna feel like you got time to really give it to somebody who might just need to talk with you. You never feel like you're, you'll never get to that place of un, uh, unhurried and unrushed where you begin to notice the people around us and be prayerfully, be in tune with what the spirit of God is doing around you in a conversation that he might want you to start up. We've gotta make room. So if you wanna be generous, and I wanna remind you, this is not an if you do, this is a when you do. If you want to live in the kingdom, this is one of the practices you need to implement in your life. We have to make a plan for it. Okay, the second thing is ask for help. And this is kind of weird in a generosity message. Ask for help. I think most of us would rather help somebody else than be helped ourselves. It makes us a little uncomfy when we have to inconvenience someone, you know? Like, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to, I don't want to have to inconvenience you. But here's why. Here's why this is something I want us to do. Ask for help. Because it, it stirs up and sparks a culture of generosity around you. 
When you ask for help, not only are you providing an opportunity for someone to be generous to you, but you actually spring load yourself to be able to be generous for other people. We wanna, we wanna ask for help. I'm not just talking about like the bail me out of the big stuff. I'm talking about like when you need a ride to the airport. Don't get an Uber. Call the guy in your men's group. Ask for help. You're going out of town, you need someone to mow your lawn, ask for help. You need a chainsaw for a project that you're doing at your house, don't go buy one. Text your serve team, be like, hey, does anyone have a chainsaw that I can borrow? We're gonna ask for help. Because like, let's, let's look beyond the world for a second and let's just look at this family. The Bible says that they will know you by your love. The world is looking at the way that we treat each other. Listen, if we're just rubbing shoulders on the weekends, we're not acting like a, fa a family. The kingdom that God is establishing is not that for one when we're in heaven one day, it's for right now. And if we're gonna get to a place where we're actually in unity, then we need to learn how to lean on each other and ask for help. Ask for help for the little things. Ask for help with the big things. Ask for advice. Ask for prayer. What you're doing is we're stirring a culture of generosity. Sometimes we don't know how to give generously because we don't know how to receive generously. It makes us uncomfortable. It's like, I don't know what to say. Then do I write him a thank you note? What do I do? Like, how do I act right now? What do I do with my hands? Like, they're, they're giving, do I need to apologize for being in this space? I, I, I don't know. Listen, we need, to, we need to be okay with receiving help so that we can be okay with giving help. I've got some friends like this that, that once a month, we watch their kids so they go on a free date night. And then once a month, they watch my kids. We don't have to pay for a babysitter. They don't have to pay for a babysitter. It's an inconvenience when I come home from work and I've got someone else's kids in my house. They're great kids, but you know, it's, I, you know, I just want to be with my family. But it's an inconvenience. But guess what? Once a month, I'm dropping my kids off at their house and we're going on a date. Listen, this is community. This is kingdom, okay? So we're going to ask for help. And the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to offer to help. Offer to help. Again, most of us, if we get asked to help with something, asked to help somebody move, asked to you know, do a favor for someone, we're going to say yes. How often are you offering? And not just because it's good intention and I've tried it, but I have yet, there's very rare when I'm like, hey, let me know if you need anything that anyone takes me up on that. And I mean it. I'm like, hey, do you need anything? What if instead of that, what if we were like, hey, I'm bringing you dinner tonight. Hey, give me one thing right now that I can do for you to make your life easier. Or what if we offered to help? You see a single mom? Don't just be like, hey, if you need anything, let me know. Be like, hey, do you have any projects you need done at the house? What, what are the three things that are on your to-do list that I can take off your list right now? We're gonna offer to help. We're gonna have active generosity. The world lives at a standard where it's like, if you ask for help, they're probably gonna give it. We're gonna offer to help. We're gonna get all up in each other's business about it. Like they're, they're, I think that's one of the reasons why we, we maybe get a, a spark in our spirit about like, I think maybe they might need something, they might go through something. We're like, I don't wanna bother them. You know, I don't wanna pry. Like if you're in close relationship with somebody, pry. Like, what do you need? What can I help you with? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.